Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. We're in our, our second uh, Sunday on our Deep and Wide series. Let me throw that up there. Boom. There it is. All right. So last week we opened up this series talking about the need for a deep and wide lifestyle. The kind of life where we go deep with Jesus, following him and becoming like him, continuing to be devoted to him and learning to abide in him, right? And then from that place, we can take what we have experienced with Jesus and pass that on to others through going wide with the truth about Jesus to everyone that we meet. And we read about that principle primarily in Matthew 13, verse 23, which says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So the whole idea of this verse is that we are meant to produce in others what has been planted in us. And what has been planted in us? It's God's word, the gospel. So that's planted in us, and now we produce that in the lives of others. Last week, we also defined a disciple as someone who follows Jesus. And there's two more terms that we want to look at today that are going to help us continue to understand what a deep and wide lifestyle is. But before we do that, let's just invite God to come in and teach us this morning. Father, as we go into your word again this morning, as we continue to talk about discipleship and what we kind of have nicknamed it a deep and wide lifestyle, There's more things that we need to understand. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and just dwell among us? Would you speak to each person individually as they need to learn according to what you know they need to learn? Including me, Jesus. I pray that all of us would receive from you and that as a result, our lives would be activated to go deep and wide with you like we're trying to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first term that, uh, that we need to look at today is, is the term discipled, okay? So being discipled means being taught by someone else to follow Jesus. So we learned what a disciple was last week, but there's also a process called being discipled. For example, I could say that Jeff is, you know, I'm being discipled by him, which means that he is teaching me to walk closer to Jesus, to understand what life with Jesus is supposed to be like as a believer. So the question is, okay, if there's people who need to be discipled, who are those people? Which ones are they? Is it this person? Is it that person? It's everybody, okay? Every single person on planet earth needs to be discipled to get closer to Jesus. And that includes you, that includes me, the FedEx guy who delivers packages to your house, the fans from the wrong team that are sitting in our gym from rugby, the the news anchor on TV, the recent convert to Christ, and the longtime veteran Christian. Maybe it's the nurse that you saw at the hospital last week, or the kid biking down your street, or the person who's sitting close to you right now in church. All of these people from all walks of life, whether they're within or without the church, they need to be discipled to know Jesus more. We all need to be like Jesus or become more like Jesus. And the ideal way for that to happen is for us to be discipled by a mature follower of Christ. 
Someone who is actively walking towards Jesus, perhaps just a few steps ahead of where we're walking with Jesus so that we can learn from their experience so that they can say, here's where I've been. Let me take you there. That's what it means to be discipled. Now, a person can be discipled inside the church. There is a very specific Christian to Christian context of what it means to be discipled. And we see that principle alive and well in Ephesians 4 verse 16, where it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Kind of an interesting verse here. So the whole body in this verse is the church. That's us. You and me. It's not everyone else. It includes you as well. No one's off the hook. We all together are the body of Christ, his church. And it says that growing and being built up in this verse is what happens to a person who is being discipled, right? Here we can see that Christians, believers, people who are already walking with Jesus need to be discipled. So being discipled isn't just something that happens for these baby Christians or new converts that we hear about. It's for every one of us. It's for those of us who are 50, 60, 70 years old. Maybe we've been walking with Christ for decades. We still need to continue on being discipled and growing towards Jesus. I think it's a good thing when one believer, wherever they are at in their maturity, is discipled by another believer. And for for me... I take this idea very seriously in my own life. Even as a pastor, I know that I have lots to learn. And there is much that I desire to grow in as a Christian. And that's why every Friday afternoon, I have two different pastor friends that I meet with from back in Manitoba where I grew up. And we continue to talk about principles and ideas and wisdom and, and scripture that I need to grow in. These guys speak into my life, and I've invited them to do that because I want to grow. I don't want to stay the same. So they are, they are willing to do that, and, and through that, I am being discipled. So yes, growing and mature Christians are meant to be discipled for sure, but this applies to people outside of the church as well, which is a little bit interesting. We automatically go, well, outside the church is for evangelism, right, Pastor Jeff? Well, I think that discipleship and evangelism, the more I study these things, I think there's actually a lot of interchangeability in them, especially in the early stages of someone's Christian development. So this outside the church idea we can see in Mark 16, verse 15. And then this is where Jesus said, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Not just to the Christians who say, yeah, I'll go to church this Sunday. No, everyone. That means everyone. Like the FedEx guy, like the news anchor on TV, right? So what happens if I'm an unbeliever and someone comes and tells me the good news about Jesus? We would say that's evangelism, right? And it is. But really, evangelism is the very first step in the beginning stages of being discipled. So that person is is working in my life who tells me about Jesus to bring me one step closer to him. They're introducing me to who he is, and that's taking me closer to him. Ideally, if possible, the person who helps me to know Jesus initially will continue to help me take more steps in my faith so that I can grow to become more like Jesus through that person's presence in my life. They lead me to believe in Jesus, have faith, and receive salvation. But then they say, okay, Jeff, there's a few more things that you can do so that your relationship with Jesus doesn't just start, but it flourishes. That's what it means to be discipled. So again, no matter what station we are at in life, each of us are meant to be discipled and keep growing into the image of God. 
that's a point that I cannot emphasize enough, okay? The other term that we need to define today is disciple maker. So really, this is kind of like the other side of the coin, right? A disciple maker is, you guessed it, someone who makes disciples. They teach others how to follow Jesus. Being discipled describes primarily uh, the person who's on the receiving end of this discipling relationship. And a disciple maker describes the person who is primarily giving or ministering to someone who needs to be discipled. So one of the questions that I think we need to answer, because in my life I remember growing up, and this is quickly where my mind would, would divert, where I would hear them talk about disciple makers, and I would automatically think about if I did or did not qualify to be someone who could make disciples. So the question that we need to ask is, who can be a disciple maker? I think it's a lot broader than perhaps we've traditionally allowed this concept to be, okay? So I would say anyone who has personally received or experienced any truth from God can be a disciple maker. Okay, sometimes we read Jesus's commissioning statement to us in Matthew 28 verse 19. And I'm trying to not be a youth pastor when I said this, but I couldn't think of a better word. We hear that commissioning message and we kind of freak out a little bit, right? We just kind of go like, Ooh, I don't know about that. Am I in that? Am I not? I'm not really sure if that's for me. And, uh, and we kind of wonder about it, right? So that passage says, this is where Jesus says to all of us, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a broad far-reaching challenge or commissioning that God gives us, but it's a little bit out there, right? And instead of our reaction being ideally, all right, let's go, I'm in. Like, of course I would do this. A lot of times we're second-guessing ourselves saying, no way, I don't think I can do that. So I want to ask a question, okay? And I'm looking for some responses. You don't have to get into it too much, but I'd love to hear some one-word answers at least. What causes us? To freak out. There it is again. What causes us to freak out at the idea of making disciples? What is it that stops us from embarking down that road? Fear. Fear. Number one answer. If we were playing Family Feud, you would have won the game right now. Yeah. Fear, of course. Anyone else have any ideas? Rejection. Rejection. I hear people talk. What was that? Sorry. Time and commitment. Any other thoughts? Those are all big ones. Unqualified. Yeah, we we feel like we don't measure up for the task at hand, right? Yeah, you know, I'd agree. I'd agree with all these things. I, I just jotted down a few of my own thoughts here, and they match yours. You know, fear, insecurity, feeling unqualified, inadequacy, Lack of knowledge or an idea of where to even begin. We were too busy doing things that don't matter. Maybe we just honestly don't want to. Maybe if we, if we speak to ourselves, we look at ourselves square in the eye in the mirror and we say, make disciples, I'm just not interested, right? Or maybe we just say, that sounds way too hard. I could never do that. You know, in our churches, too many Christians have decided that they can't do what God has absolutely equipped them to do. And that's make disciples. They think, well, that kind of work is only for the, the professional Christians, right? I've heard many people actually say, not only is it the pastor's job to make disciples, but they're the only one who can make disciples. Ugh. 
Well, let's look at that logically for a moment, okay, in the context of our congregation. Let's just follow this, I'm going to say, faulty logic to its end. If pastors are the people who are supposed to be disciple makers, then we have to ask ourselves, well, what percentage of churches are pastors? Let's just look at it in our own context. What percentage of Christian Fellowship Church is pastors, right? That'll tell us how effective we're going to be able to be if only pastors or the professional Christians are supposed to make disciples. You know, I look back at our our attendance records, and in the last three months, we've averaged about 68 people per Sunday here. And amongst those 68 people, I'm a pastor. Uh, Melissa Renus is a pastor, and Madison Wagaman is a pastor. So to figure this out, I called up our resident math teacher, Al Hawley, and I tried to make sure that he made, made sure that my math work was semi-accurate. And uh, his math and my math showed that 3 out of 68 people is 4.4%. So if we follow this logic right to its end, then we're saying that only 4.4% of the church is willing or somewhat confident to make disciples. And if that's true, I think we're in great trouble. Would you agree with me? Okay, let's, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So what do we do with this fear that so many of us grapple with? What do we do with this so that this isn't the limiting factor in doing the thing that Christ has commissioned all of us to do? Well, first of all, let's speak to the fears that we have. If for some reason anyone here today feels inadequate to be a disciple maker, hear me loud and clear. You aren't a substandard Christian if you aren't in vocational ministry. Okay, there's no ranking system that God gives. He says, only the professional Christians, only those in vocational ministry, pastors, worship leaders, Sunday school teachers, even even people who are volunteering on that kind of a teaching level, only they I am calling to make disciples. No, we're all equipped. No one is substandard. All of us have the same salvation. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same commissioning by Jesus to make disciples. And that's an exciting fact. No one is left out from this amazing, exciting, thrilling lifestyle that God is calling us to. We're totally on even footing. Here's something that I believe with all my heart. You're not just as effective at making disciples as someone in vocational ministry like me, but you're actually more effective. When I entered paid ministry in 2010, I noticed something strange immediately happened to me. When we moved from Winkler to Winnipeg, it's like we passed through some sort of a wormhole and we entered this weird universe where everyone looked at me in the way that they had never looked at me before. As soon as I became a pastor, people thought of me differently and I was, I was weirded out by that. I didn't know how to react because I was still just Jeff Peters in my mind, but to all these people in the new church that we went to pastor in, I was now Pastor Jeff and I would always be Pastor Jeff And it was weird. A lot of times I have to work way harder to earn the same trust with people that all of us wouldn't, or all of you wouldn't have to work as hard for, right? As soon as someone would find out that I'm a pastor, Christians, but especially non-Christians, they look at me differently than they ever had before, but they don't look at you like that. You guys have an advantage in disciple making compared to me. From what I've experienced, people can be skeptical and leery of what pastors say. They think that we're trying to work an angle. They think that we care about the attendance figures at our church or we care about the offering. Hey, come to church. 
Oh, why? You just want my money? I've literally heard people say that to me. That was the first thing out of their mouth. They think, well, they're being paid to be kind and loving, so it's not authentic. All of you can just be your kind, loving, Jesus-loving selves, and you will be accepted far quicker than I will. You have a greater voice in the lives of people outside of the church than I do, simply because the difference in how they look at me versus how they look at you. You don't believe me. I can tell. Some of you don't believe me. Well, let me tell you something interesting that's happened since we moved to Kandu two and a half years ago. I'm a very, you know, extroverted guy. I love meeting new people, and I love inviting people to church. I love talking to people about Jesus. And I've probably invited dozens and dozens, my guess is, at least between 50 and 60 people to this church since we moved here two and a half years ago. You know how many people out of those uh, 50 or 60 have come to this church as a result of my invitation? I can count them on one hand. I can count them on two fingers. Literally two people. Isn't that interesting? Okay? Yet, when you come to church on a normal Sunday here at CFC and you look around, it's like, huh, there's new folks here again this Sunday. Or like, oh, I wonder who they are. Or I haven't seen them here before, right? And that's okay. That's a good thing. So, how are they coming here? Because my invitations aren't working. <laughs> a lot of the time, they're coming here because you've invited them. Because your voice in their life is more powerful than mine. You have a voice in their lives that I don't, and that's good. So I'm saying all these things because I want you to be confident in who God has made you to be. You don't have to be someone else to be effective as a disciple maker. You just have to be willing to start doing it. Secondly, now that we've spoken to these fears, the other part that we want to do in understanding this whole thing is you are called to be a disciple maker right where God has you. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, parents, we are disciple makers to our children. Your school, maybe the parents that you travel to your kids' sporting events with, maybe the classmates that you have, those are all people that God has called you to. He knows exactly who's in your class. He knows where you're supposed to be working and why you're there and for how long you're meant to be there. And you are the right person for the job that God has in mind for you. You don't need to work at a church to be in ministry. You can and should minister right where you are. I have more to say about this next week, so I'm going to leave it there for now. And we'll we'll kind of pick up this topic uh, next time. But the third thing I want to say kind of on this on this stream that we're on is a minute ago, we, we answered the question of who can be a disciple maker when we said anyone, especially or, or, or anyone who has personally received or experienced any truth from God for themselves. If you have received something from Jesus, you have something to give to someone else in the name of Jesus. So sometimes we think that we have to know everything before we can begin making disciples. I haven't even read the whole Bible. I can't make disciples yet. I haven't memorized enough verses. I'm not going to know what to do in conversations. I'm not ready to make disciples. We compare ourselves to others and think, well, I can't be a disciple maker because I don't know as much as they do. That's just not true. Some of the most effective disciple makers are brand new Christians. And most of the time, they only know the basics, right? They know what life was like before they knew Jesus. They accepted his forgiveness, and maybe they found a church to start going to. They are at the very beginning of their journey, and that's all that they know so far. But often, they are so excited by this that they tell everyone that they know. I've gone through a great change. I heard about Jesus. I started going to this church, and 
That's what they know, right? Think of, uh, think of the woman at the well. Jesus met with her one minute or so. It was a very brief encounter. And then the next minute, she told everyone she knew about that conversation that she had, right? This is detailed for us in John 4, verse 28 to 30, and then also verse 39. So here's what this encounter, here's the details that we need to know. So then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then skipping ahead to verse 39, the result is many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Isn't it incredible that in just that moment, she heard from Jesus. She said, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to go back and tell the entire town. And it says that many believed and this, this Christian, whatever, like whatever you want to call her, this believer, this woman who had received from Jesus, she was like hours into this relationship, right? She hadn't studied the Bible. She had, maybe she didn't even own a Bible. She had maybe never been to a church service that preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like her life had one interaction with Christ, and now she was automatically effective to lead other people towards him. And it's beautiful. She, she went deep with Jesus in a moment and then spread it wide. And there she was, a disciple maker. <coughs> I have the joy of going to Heartview once a month to teach a class. In case you don't know, Heartview is an addiction treatment center that we are so blessed to have in our community. In this class that I, I get to teach, we talk about brokenness uh, that addiction leads us into. And how Jesus is the only way out of the brokenness that we are mired in. In the last couple of years that I've been there, many people in this class have turned to Jesus for forgiveness and healing and salvation and hope. It's so beautiful. These people are so hungry. And this is like, it's probably one of the most fruitful things that God has allowed me to do in this, in this community. Where people who are hungry hear the truth and turn to Jesus and want a Bible and they want to go to church and they want to plug in. I love it, right? Often during that class, people will ask about our church and what time services are. And then the next Sunday, there they are in church. So cool. I love that they want to come to church and join us as we press into Jesus together. At Heartview every week, there are new people who are coming to begin their treatment. There's, there's high turnover. You're only there for about a month. And so every week there's new people who come. So I might be there one week and by the next week there could be three or four new clients that I didn't get a chance to meet the last time I was there. I find it so interesting that the people I didn't meet when I was at Heartview show up the next Sunday at CFC. Who told them about our church? Who invited them to come? Who is leading them closer to Jesus in this way? It's not me. I don't even know them. It's these brand new believers who experienced Jesus, who found out, found out that there's hope in the name of the Lord. They called on him for themselves. They received forgiveness for the life that they've been living. And now they're excited to say, hey, we're going to this church on Sunday. You should come. You should be a part of what Jesus is doing in this place. I love this. So... If you've known Jesus for just a few days, you still have an opportunity to be an effective, God-honoring, Christ-commissioned disciple-maker. 
It might just be a little bit that you can share with someone, but it's worth sharing, isn't it? And if you have known Jesus for most of your life, then you have much to share. You absolutely, every one of you, can be a disciple maker. As we go on in this series, we're going to learn more about how to do this better and better. That's my prayer. So, so far this morning, we've understood um, that being, a, being discipled is still important for all of us, no matter what stage we're at. We all need to keep growing towards Jesus and becoming more like him. And we've learned that anyone can be a disciple maker. If you've experienced Jesus, if his truth has entered your life and you've received it, you now have something to offer to someone else and you can be a disciple maker in their life. A key component for deep and wide living, living as disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, is relationship. As a matter of fact, without relationship, we ourselves aren't. We ourselves are not disciples of Jesus. Think of it this way. Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 19, he called out to people, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. So looking at this verse, it might be obvious. Maybe it's not, but we're going to review this anyway. But who is the me in this passage? Just shout it out. Shout it out with confidence. Sorry, I should have been more clear. Jesus. Absolutely. Okay, there we go. So in this passage, Jesus is telling us to follow Jesus. It's a very simple concept, but it's something that we need to be clear on because Jesus is not asking us to follow a religion. He's not asking us to follow a list of rules or a denomination or even a way of life. Jesus is asking us to follow him. And Jesus said this when he was a person living on this earth. So following Jesus means spending time with Jesus. And when people spend time together, that's called a relationship. It's actually very simple, but it's something that's so easily missed, right? So that's exactly what Jesus wants to see happen in each and every one of us. So through the relationship that Jesus began all those years ago on the shores of the, of the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus formed a relationship with 12 men. They spent time together. They got to know Jesus. They began to trust in Jesus more and more. They learned from him. They observed him. And Jesus' life and teachings rubbed off on these men. Relationship made it possible for Jesus to disciple these 12 men into a group that literally changed the world. If Jesus would have said, hey guys, here's the Old Testament... Here's a couple other things, just some thoughts that I have for you. I'm going to write these down. Just go do your thing, but I want you to read this stuff. If that's all it was, that would have been void of relationship, and it wouldn't have been nearly as effective. So we we say the Bible's important, and it is, but it's actually not more important than Jesus. Kind of a strange concept, right? Because so many of us who say, as long as I can read the scriptures and know what it says, I'm going to know Jesus. Maybe you you might get to know him, but relationship is more than reading. It's more than knowledge. It's wanting to spend time with, wanting to do as your friend does. That's what relationship is, and that's what Jesus is calling us to. The Apostle Paul understood this too. He understood that uh, how key relationship was as well. No, he wasn't Jesus, but he absolutely wanted to disciple people to become like Jesus. He gave his whole life for that. 
And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul brought many new Christians under his wing into relationship with himself, and he taught them what it means to live their lives for Christ. He could do this because he himself was living for Christ, and his example gave these new believers something to follow, right? So through being in relationship with other believers, Paul was able to teach and model what devotion to Jesus looks like, and these believers grew and became devoted to Jesus themselves. In 1928, a young man who had recently come to Christ and got plugged into a church, was asked to teach a junior high boys Sunday school class. Now, if those four words don't send shivers up your spine, I don't know what does. Junior high boys Sunday school. Maybe that's five words. I don't know. But the first Sunday that he taught was a disaster. The boys didn't listen and they were unruly like they were with all the teachers that they had worn out before their new teacher showed up. So this young teacher, he didn't know what to do. So he prayed, Lord, you made little boys. Give me an idea that will help me to hold their attention. That's what his prayer was. And then this young teacher had an idea come to him. Talk to each student individually. So he did. And he began with the ringleader in that unruly Sunday school class, a young boy named Jack. The teacher showed up or showed Jack a passage in Mark 4 about how the devil snatched away the good seed before it could be sown. And then he said, Jack... The devil did not need to be in class on last Sunday. You helped him. You took the other boys' attention away from the word of God so that they didn't hear what God had to say to them. That's pretty bold. I love that. Jack realized the error of his ways, and so did the other boys that the teacher talked to individually. The next week, the boys were angelic. The teacher began to run out of time during class on Sundays with all the teaching material that he had. So he had the boys over to his house every week so that they could complete the lesson. This Sunday school teacher, his name is Dawson Trotman. He learned that forming individual relationships with these boys in his Sunday school class was a key component to helping them form their own relationship with Christ. Dawson Trotman went on to found The Navigators, one of the largest and most well-known discipleship organizations in the world. This whole idea of relationship became the platform for where discipleship happens for him, and it shouldn't be a surprise for us. Jesus is all about relationships. That's why he had so much to teach us about love, because love is what Jesus is all about, And love is at the center of any healthy relationship. When we read about love in the Bible, we're reading about relationships. We really have to understand that. So relationship is a testimony, right? John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So loving relationship is a testimony about Jesus in us to the world. When we love one another and others observe us doing so, they can see that we are following God. And that's already the beginning of being a disciple that is making disciples. Relationship also creates opportunities. Matthew 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment that Jesus ties into love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we truly love someone, it gives us a chance to form a relationship with them. When we form a relationship with them, they're going to be more willing to receive what we want to share with them about Jesus. When I was a sophomore in high school, a new volunteer joined the youth group as a, as a leader. His name was Kevin. Kevin and I began to chat and get to know each other a little bit, and we found uh, common ground in music. 
we, li- we liked a lot of the same bands. One youth group, uh, or one night, our youth group went to Winnipeg from Winkler, where we were, uh, for an evening that we were going to spend at a mall doing a scavenger hunt. Uh, now, we were supposed to be doing the scavenger hunt, but as soon as we got there, Kevin said, Hey, Jeff, come with me. And we left the mall, and I said, Where are we going, Kevin? And he took me across the street to a music store, and we looked at some albums from the bands that we liked. And it was in that moment that I knew that Kevin actually cared about me. He listened to me, he paid attention to what I was interested in, and he gave me time in his life. He took time out of his schedule to make sure that relationship with me was a priority. And from that day on, we formed an incredible friendship. Even though Kevin was 12 years older than me, uh, he became the best man at my wedding years later. So through that friendship, Kevin spoke into my life often throughout the years, and he helped me to grow to become more like Jesus. And after high school, our friendship continued, and, and it, it kind of became what Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It was such a delight to have him walking with me all those years, and we still are in touch today. So today we've learned that everyone needs to be discipled, even us. Everyone can be a disciple maker, even us. And relationships are key for either of these things to happen. Karen, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come up uh, and just get set on the piano here. We're going to pray for a minute. Typically, I, or often, I've, I've ended the message with um, me praying for you. But you're going to pray for yourself today. Because I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want you to speak what truly is coming from your own heart. It doesn't have to be out loud. That's okay. But I want you to pray if what we've talked about today is something that you desire for yourself. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts. As I share these thoughts, I'm going to pause and give you a moment to pray these things into your own life. last week the challenge was for us to pray daily for Christ to give us a desire and a willingness to immerse ourselves in all that it means to be a disciple we've talked about that in detail today so where you're sitting right now the things that we talked about I want you to pray for these things for yourself if you understand and believe what we've learned today about the need to be discipled I just want you to tell Jesus that you're willing to be discipled Just use your own words. I want you to tell Jesus that you want to keep growing and that you're not done yet and that you want to be more like him. And in fact, I want you to pray a bold prayer that you would bring a, or that he would bring a person into your life that you can be discipled by. Ask Jesus for that. He would gladly supply that if that's what you truly desire. And then when it comes to us being disciple makers, we talked about the fear, right? We talked about the reasons why we hesitate to do these things. If you feel fear, if you feel inadequacy, if you feel unqualified, if you feel unwilling to be a disciple maker, 
I want you to confess those things to Jesus right now in your own heart. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've believed those things instead of the commissioning that you have given me to be a disciple maker. And I want you to ask Jesus to replace any fear, any feelings of inadequacy with eagerness and ambition to be the disciple maker that he wants you to be for his glory. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. You bless us with every spiritual blessing that we need because through coming to faith in Christ, we have benefits as the children of God. You came to our rescue and you saved us from something that we could not save ourselves from. It was impossible for us to begin relationship with you. But you took what was impossible and you made it a reality for all who trust in you. And now we want to spread that wide being disciple makers for your glory, Jesus.